I'm Susan McEntee Brady. Welcome to the Better Understanding Podcast. Please join me in exploring what it means to lead inclusively. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Terry Cooper to our podcast today. Terry serves as Vice Chair of External Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Deloitte US, where she focuses on fostering Deloitte's external brand and helping to drive market-facing efforts. Terry has more than two decades of experience working in various capacities of the life sciences and healthcare industry, including participating in a broad range of strategic advisory services. Prior to the role she has now, Terry served as Chief Inclusion Officer, where she drove Deloitte's strategy to recruit, develop, and advance a diverse workforce and foster an inclusive environment. Terry serves as a frequent speaker on diversity, equity, and inclusion issues and trends. She spearheaded Deloitte's state of inclusion research, as well as represented Deloitte at Davos, Fortune's Most Powerful Women, and Women Leaders Global Forum. I met Terry just about two years ago when I first joined Simmons. She is a visionary and as courageous as she is compassionate. In 2005, the Deloitte Ellen Gabriel Chair for Women in Leadership at Simmons University was established in honor of former Deloitte trailblazer Ellen Gabriel after she lost her battle to breast cancer. I am very honored to hold this chair today. Terry has been an incredible collaborator as Simmons continues to honor Ellen Gabriel's legacy and support our mission in manifesting equity, allyship, and gender parity in leadership. Terry holds a joint honors Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry and pharmacology and a PhD in pharmacology from the University of London. Oh my gosh, I could go on, but I'm gonna welcome our guest. Hello, Terry. Thank you for taking the time to be a guest on our Better Understanding podcast today. Susan, thank you. And as always, it's a real pleasure to, to be with you and to join you. Um, every interaction that we have, I learned so much from you as well. It's an absolute joy. Well, I'm excited to share your wisdom and brilliance with our listeners. But before I do, I thought I would just start, you know, I shared a lot about your background. What do you want our listeners to know about you that I didn't cover? There's just one thing, um, and that's really from the perspective that I really tried to become more authentic over the years, and particularly a woman in business. You know, early on, I think in my career, I did a lot of covering um, and really wanted to be seen in it as a certain persona that I truly felt that was really important to be successful. And the one thing that I now share more openly is my own personal challenge with fertility. I would have loved to have had a child, sadly, that didn't work out. And the reason I've started to share that is because I know, you know, as you read in the bio, first question people ask is, did you have children? We say no, and you listen to that type of bio, there's this um, perhaps assumption that I was all about my career. And I really want to share more with individuals around my, not to make any assumptions about individuals. And it's something that's dear to my heart is to really share with other women to be more open or to think about the support that you can have and the challenges that each and every one of us face. So I would just add that more from my authentic self um, and how I've got the courage to share that more. The more we can dispel the myth that maybe those who haven't had children didn't by choice, I think the better. Thank you for sharing that. You know, what it brings up also is that not only are we dealing with the dimensions of diversity that we can see and difference, we're also dealing with the dimensions of difference that we can't see. 
which makes me ask, how did you come to be a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, you have this extraordinary background in pharmacology. What fuels you about this work and how did you wind up doing it? We started, I think, very early in my career. Um, I come from pretty humble beginnings. My father was a factory worker and my mother would clean houses to try and drive greater income. And I was the very, very first member of my entire family to ever get to university, let alone the first female member to get to university. My dad, God bless him, probably had the reading age of a nine-year-old, but he was always adamant that I could do whatever I put my heart to. And whenever I had any, faced any hurdles, he would say, yes, you can. And I think being early on in my career, when I went to university, you know, studied chemistry and pharmacology, Universities in the UK are much smaller than the US, but there were about 300 pupils in my year at university, of which there were five girls. And things continued that way, that we were very much in the minority. And as I progressed in my career working in the pharmaceutical industry and then moving forward, being so often the only woman in the room that I told myself that when I got to a point where I felt that I had a strong enough voice I was not going to start speaking up initially on behalf of women or creating a path for women coming behind me. I had the privilege when I joined Deloitte 15 years ago of becoming our office managing partner for New York. And that dawned on me. It wasn't just women, that young women that needed help and support, but individuals of color or different sexual orientation. And, and eventually all of us have those needs. And that was really where I recognized just how important it was for us to have a diverse workforce so we could bring all that amazing collective thinking, but also the importance to lean in and create an environment where everybody felt that they're included. And so I've tried really hard in building teams, even before having official inclusion roles, is really looking for ways in which I can be inclusive because I remember so much of my career early on really those feelings of exclusion and really don't want others to feel that. So did you lobby or did you raise your hand and say, I'm interested in this work or did it, were you noticed for it and sort of someone? Yeah, it's good. I was actually noticed for it. I mean, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, would I ever have seen myself as being a chief inclusion officer? Um, I probably wouldn't have even known what that was, <laughs> but I but I literally um, was asked to step up into my first inclusion role by Jim Moffitt, who was our CEO of consulting at that time since retired. And it was because I was noticed from the point of view of how I was developing teams within my industry group, but also the work that I had been doing within the office culture as well. So it's a long way from 20 years ago for you, and you are one of probably the, the world's experts on inclusion at big companies. Can you help our listeners? And I, I love asking guests this because I think everybody has a slightly different take. Why do we need more inclusion at work? What's driving all this focus, Terry? In this fast changing world, if we really want to be successful, whether it's personally or professionally, having that ability to bring such a diverse group of individuals together in order to drive different experiences. So if we think about it in the business environment first, it is so clear that the more diverse thinking that we can have, the more that we can share different experiences, 
that the innovation that we can drive is significantly enhanced, not to mention the financial performance. So it just makes absolutely perfect business sense. As we've been in the pandemic over the last year, all of the successes, even if we think about vaccine development, et cetera, there have been really diverse teams that have been behind creating the vaccine across the board. For me as well, on the personal level, I step back and I think about the life I want to lead and, and how, how embracing do I want that life to be? Uh, I've had a privilege. I've traveled all over the world as a result of my work as, a, as an international consultant, as well as personally. And my life has been so enriched by meeting so many people of different backgrounds, whether they happen to be young girls in Tanzania or senior executives in Paris, from the point of view of actually being able to really connect with those individuals has given me an entirely different perspective and I think helps me actually function at the best I can, as well as bringing unique thinking as well. And so we know the business case, but also on the personal level, just the additional joy and that it brings to individuals' lives is so important. I was thinking about this myself recently and realizing still in our world, we're able to really just be with the people who are like us. Work forces a whole different dynamic. It's almost forced the whole conversation. And so when we think about leading inclusively, what does that really mean? Do you have a definition for that at Deloitte? How would you define leading inclusively? So I'm going to steal um, a little saying, which is when I think about diversity, so we have a diverse team, it's like being invited to the party. I remember as a five-year-old, you get invited to the party. Leading inclusively to me is being asked to dance so that you're not just at the party, but you're absolutely included, that you're participating, that you've actually been asked onto the dance floor. There are a series of behaviors that each of us really need to think about how do we embrace if we really want to be an inclusive leader and, and whenever I'm talking on this subject it's not the most senior leaders in an organization it's down to every single one of us as an individual how do we demonstrate our commitment to inclusion certainly our personal commitment how do we make people feel inclusive on our day-to-day -day interactions how do we create a collaborative environment because it, we can pull together a diverse team, but we need to ensure that each individual has that ability to have their voice heard. And so how do you drive the collaboration? In order to do that, how curious are you? Do you take the time to actually get to know somebody, not just how they introduce themselves with their job title, but who are they? You know, what is it that really makes them the individual they are and the experiences that they had? You know, we talked a little bit about that travel, that cultural intelligence, recognizing the differences, being aware of our own biases, as well as being courageous. So to me, when I think about certainly what does it mean to be an inclusive leader, it's embracing those six traits that we affectionately call the six C's and creating that environment where all of your colleagues feel they, they're not, they haven't just been invited to that party, but they can certainly dance with you. Okay, just in case, can you go over the six again? Yeah, absolutely. So the six traits, and we call them affectionately the six C's, commitment, collaboration, curiosity, cultural intelligence, 
cognizance of bias and courage. I love it. I think that's so helpful. And I love the metaphor. We teach this at Simmons as well about diversity is being invited to the dance and, and inclusion is being asked to dance. And, and what it brings up metaphorically is anybody at the party can ask anyone else. You don't have to be the host of the party to ask somebody to dance, right? The idea is that we're all dancing. And so sometimes the word leading or leadership or inclusive leadership, it sort of points to a particular hierarchical or positional requirement or charter. And I really love how you underscored, this is for everyone. <laughs> um, this is for everyone. Can you further expand and maybe share a story about when you have felt you have fostered inclusion? Yeah. I think the one thing that sticks out for me really from the point of view of the story around fostering inclusion, around about six years ago now at Deloitte, we held our first ever Black Summit. And I was asked to be the keynote speaker to kick off the summit. So here I am, white female, about to address somewhere between 250 and 300 black professionals. And one of the things that I was most fearful of, it was the first time we'd held a summit of this nature, it was I didn't want to come across as really not understanding my audience and thinking about how I could connect with the audience. I really wanted to think about how could I demonstrate that I was there because we're really serious about how do we continue to support our black professionals in the workforce. And so I actually took aside some of my closest black colleagues and I was very open with them and I said, I need your help. Tell me or instruct me, what are the types of things that you want to hear from me or what are the things that I really truly need to understand so that we can actually create this rapport because my fear was as being the individual opening this summit, if I failed, that's the summit gone for two days, just so critically important. And they were so incredible about sharing stories, emphasizing some of the areas. And the one thing that I was completely oblivious of that now I think at least I know a lot more about was the challenges when it relates to their hair. And we had organized certain events, you know, like spinning or just sports events in mind. And they reached out and they said, Terry, we need to think about some different events. And it was primarily because I had never dawned on me that the challenges of getting hot and sweaty, whereas we can jump in the shower and, you know, half an hour we're done, that the elements of taking care of black hair can be dramatically different. And that was one of the biggest aha moments for me that I looked at this in an entirely different lens and was able to share that as part of the speech and got a standing ovation for the fact that I just acknowledged that this was something new that I had learned that I was completely oblivious to. And not only from the point of view of the challenges, but just the number of hours that are invested, as well as, and what made me really sad was the chemicals that have to be used and the, the side effects, the potential side effects of the chemicals. So that to me was one of the areas where I learned a lot. I think I was able to come across as being inclusive, but at the same time, those individuals had the patience and the, the desire 
to provide me with that education, both men and women. And we had some good open dialogue as a result of that. What did you feel in the process of preparing? Yeah, to be completely honest, I really felt terrified because I knew this was so important and I really didn't want to mess up. And I actually even admitted that at the start of the presentation. I actually said, here I am, a white woman standing in front of 250 black colleagues. I want to tell you now that if I do something or say something, it's like I apologize now because I'm a little terrified around this. And just I think being that open and that empathetic went a long way, you know, from the point of view of having the crowd behind me. Absolutely. Why is it that creating equity and inclusion is so threatening and scary to some? And and what can we do about that? Okay, so you said you're terrified. I don't know about our listeners. I don't like feeling terrified, like I might do something wrong. So implicit is that you're saying we've got risks that we're taking involved. But what's underneath the fear? You know Janet Fauci very well, our, our chair of the board, and Janet has a great expression, which is assume positive intent. And it's something that I've really constantly remind myself. The challenge is that individuals, like I was saying, I was terrified. We're really scared of offending somebody. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And I think the last year, at a minimum, what has taught me and has taught so many of my colleagues is that now is the time to be uncomfortable. We each have to think about being uncomfortable to be comfortable. And the way in which you start those conversations, like I was sharing, engaging with these professionals and asking for their help. I think if you're honest and you're open and say, look, I've never experienced what you've experienced. I need help to understand and tell me if I'm saying something or I'm not addressing something in the right way. But it's having that courage and you've got to take risks. And it's the only way we're going to sort of move the needle. So that ability, you know, as I said, I was terrified, but at the same time, I felt prepared. So it, you know, I had taken the time and I think I'd recognized that I couldn't just stand up, that I needed to do my homework, that I needed to get educated, that I needed to feel uncomfortable around having that discussion. It was hard initially to say, can you help me here? And everybody was so incredibly gracious. And one of the things I've noticed is when you ask for help or you ask, you know, try and engage in that dialogue and it might make you feel uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, the conversation and the education and the learnings for each individual is really precious. So going a step further, I mean, I think implicit in the six C's, the six traits of inclusion is understanding. What's the role of understanding? How do we cultivate it? Part of the challenge we have, majority of individuals want to act immediately. And so when we think about the understanding to me, and it's around a framework that we've really been trying to leverage more and more at Deloitte, it's what we call our lead framework. One of the most important things is we need to listen first. Before we think about anything that we're going to do from an action orientated is we absolutely need to listen, but not only listen, we need to engage. We need to engage in that conversation to ask those questions 
and acknowledge it's so important that we actually acknowledge the feelings of our colleagues too often we can listen and we can engage but we don't necessarily acknowledge what we've heard and if we can listen engage and acknowledge then we can act or then we can do so from a, a lead perspective and that to me is really critically important because i know i've fallen into that trap so many times when you hear a story or somebody shares something and your immediate reaction is i want to act i want to do something right now and in fact you need to uh, need to take the time to engage more to acknowledge and really ensure that the action that i believe is appropriate is the action that the individuals that it's going to affect truly believe it's appropriate as well you know i i can speak to that with most precision around sometimes very well intended men on the topic of advocating for women there is this sort of like oh i'll i'll take her under my wing i'll champion her i'll go you know and what i have noticed is that the act of listening in that regard is make sure and i tell women this too make sure you speak up about what it is you want to manifest for yourself or someone you might wake up someday in a role you never wanted because somebody felt they were doing the right thing for you listening the counter side to listening and better understanding is also doing it for ourselves so that when we have the opportunity to speak up we're clear do you see this in the culture as you're talking about inclusion and you're talking about really wanting all people to come forward and be part do you see the tension of not wanting to speak up for oneself yeah yeah that you know when i talked about those 6c's around the collaboration part of the collaboration component is creating that safe environment where people feel they can speak up that they can speak up for themselves as well as speak up for others i recognize as a woman for so much of my career i wouldn't always speak up i would be grateful if if something was given to me but i wouldn't necessarily speak up to say this is what i would like this is my career aspiration and here's what i like to achieve And so one of the other elements that I try and work really closely with our women on is this whole distinction between and I'm going to use another saying this is a Terry saying it's less wishbone more backbone and the less wishbone really focuses on that thinking that if I keep my head down I do really great work that I'm going to get noticed and I'll get the next position and that may not as you were saying it may not be exactly what you wanted because somebody else has made an assumption around your needs as opposed to the more backbone which is exactly what you were explaining Susan where individuals have the courage to speak up to say this is what I'm looking for this is my journey this is this these are my aspirations how can you help to work with me to achieve those and provide that level of mentorship sponsorship what what i've seen suddenly amongst that deloitte women when they make that pivot and we talk about a strategic ask 99 times out of 100 that strategic ask is never turned down it's like well i never knew you wanted that i never knew if only i'd known that and so it's really from the point of view of encouraging individuals to truly speak up um for themselves you've mentioned a lot of different skills already we've got listening we've got compassion we've got curiosity if you had to pick one terry that you've seen actually shift a team dynamic or shift a leader's real 
perception or shift somebody's perception of another person, what did that person do? One skill that you would point to. I think it's in the element of being that authentic leader. If anything, I would say that that actually embraces all of those traits, that if you're truly authentic, to me, that's the skill. And it's that authenticity around being humble, around sharing your fears, um, your weaknesses, that skill unto itself, listening and being authentic. I know for me personally, I think that's what sets me apart at times around the ability because I'm, I'm authentic and I, and I will listen in an authentic manner. So implicit in, in what you just said is part of your answer to my next question, but I love leaving our listeners with a very specific next action. What do you suggest our listeners do? How can they take their own journey of understanding about inclusion to the next level? I would ask everybody to sit back and reflect and think about both from a personal and a professional perspective. Think about who are the 10 people that you interact with most in a professional setting and the 10 people that you interact with most from a personal setting. And really hold yourselves accountable and think, what does that group of individuals look like? Are they all like me? Are they all white women? Are they all from similar social economic backgrounds, et cetera? And how am I going to actually really change that, whether it's in the business or in the personal, to actually open up my own personal aperture and really embrace this ability to learn so much more about other individuals and to broaden the experience? Oh, I love it. I'm taking my own inventory as I'm listening. I have work to do. I think we all do. And boy, Terry, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for vulnerably and so authentically showing us what you've learned. And I really appreciate your time. And it's just so fun to collaborate with you. Thank you. You too, Susan. Thank you so much. At the core, leading inclusively starts with a desire to understand. So we hope the Better Understanding podcast sparks something for you that leaves you wanting more. Thank you, everybody, for joining.